It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the Sports, sports Rush, Rush with Brett Rump. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. Taking you home on a Wednesday, doing the jiggy. I don't know what that is. Don't look at me that way, Adam. Brett Rump, Adam Lundy, it is the Sports Rush. Daily local sports fix, four to six. Trying to do my jiggy over here. What are you doing? You're turning down the music on me. Doing the jiggy? I'm doing the jiggy. I think we're getting jiggy with dance? it. No. The jiggy's not a dance? No. My, There's the gritty. Might be if I want to make it the dance. You got the next viral TikTok dance there, bro. <laughs> there you go. I might have to put out a TikTok. <laughs> Please don't. Don't. Even, don't even know how. I'd have to show you, wouldn't I? You probably would. Oh, geez. You are my kids because I need to find somebody <laughs> under 30 to show me how to use TikTok. Big hour coming up with a sports rush. We've got James Boyd from The Athletic, and we've got Dan Lust, national sports law attorney. This guy, you know, he joined our show years ago. He was kind of a, uh, you know, fresh rookie uh, working the the uh, attorney thing and uh, wanted to get into sports law. And he was looking for opportunities to maybe be guests on radio stations. He contacted us. This was before anybody in the country knew who Dan Lust, Dan Lust was. And this guy has taken off and has been on Fox regularly. He's been on some of the other uh, major national network news talking sports law cases. And uh, we're just thrilled that he has stayed true to us. And whenever we have questions about things happening on the legal side of sports, we can always ask Dan Lust to come on and join us. And we certainly appreciate uh, him taking time today at 535, about 30 minutes from now. He'll join the program, of course, Pat McAfee with the lawsuit with with uh, Brett Favre suing Pat McAfee for defamation, which is kind of ironic in a way. Uh, it's kind of the accused just becoming the accuser. And, uh, you know, you got to always use the allegedly uh, when you're when you're talking about that situation. Then Daniel Snyder. Uh, what is the status there? I mean, you kind of feel like, okay, did he have two sets of books? Was he hiding a loan from the other minority owners? Did he collect cash using the Washington, uh, the Washington commander's ownership as leverage to get a loan and didn't tell his partners about it? And how, if he's done these things, how can he continue to be an owner and have any integrity in the NFL? 
We've got Dan Lust. That's right. We've got no answer, but we have Dan Lust <laughs> that will give us an answer. Hey, I have a little bit of uh, breaking news here for you, oh, Brett. Well, let's go ahead and get this break. Oh, the breaking news sounder. Jim Beheim is no longer Syracuse's basketball coach. It's officially over after 47 years. The Beheim era is now over. Boy, the ACC is going to look different. Mike yeah. Bray had his last game as the Notre Dame coach. Looks- and Jim Beheim, and in both situations, um, I I don't think they were pushed out the door, but they were shown where the door was. Yes. And they were uh, maybe invited or welcome to take a step through. And 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 that became very apparent with Jim Beheim and his postgame presser, which became very awkward. Yeah. When uh, they ta- he said something about he gave a retirement speech to his team. And a reporter, hearing that, asked him, are you retiring? And his response was, well, that's up to the university. Well, generally, (laughs) if you're going to retire, that's your decision to retire, not necessarily the employer. (laughs) If the employer has put you into retirement, then the employer has terminated you or fired you. And uh, and you become status unemployed slash retired. But. It seems to me pretty clear that Syracuse had decided this was enough. It uh, it was a great run with Jim Beheim, but it's time to move forward. And yeah. he's no longer the coach. Right now, it's going to be Adrian Autry being their coach. Who He was an associate head coach for them for a long time. But they don't uh, have any more games. Well, they might have an NIT, right? Right. I don't know if he's going to be the new permanent head coach. This is just a this is just breaking, so we're going to find I, out. I doubt that they've already got somebody lined up to be the permanent head coach, I would think. But, of course, we'll have to see what the actual reports are. But um, he was on the staff as an associate head coach? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's been associate head coach uh, since 2017, Adrian has. Okay. I mean, it's logical that he would be the guy to take over the program for the short term, especially if there's consideration that they might go to an NIT. What is Syracuse's record? 19 wins, 18 wins. They did not have a great year in the ACC. But I'd have to think, since they never play road games in Syracuse, that's always 17 kind of a joke. and 15. 17 and 15. 10 and 10 in conference. Were they? Yes. It's a lot better than I thought they were in conference. Of course, the ACC, I don't think it's anywhere near as strong as it has been in the past. But uh, Jim Beheim out at Syracuse. Mike Bray, of course. Yeah, and the reports are saying he's been named the next head coach. So we might be looking into next really? season. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty quick. Looks like it might have already been. Uh... <laughs> hey, they must have been anticipating that retirement. Huh. <laughs> Funny how things work. Things that make you go, hmm. Yeah, it's pretty bad when you retire. And uh, it's like, you know, you go in to tell your boss you're retiring and in your boss's office is your replacement. It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) uh, Yeah, we just got a text on the text line, 46862. They said, so Greg Campy at Oakland is now the longest tenured head coach. Hey, very good point. That's probably Rick. I bet that's that's Rick. No? No. And I thought Rick would jump on it. I'm kind of ashamed and and disappointed that Rick, our our buddy Rick, wasn't the first one to jump on the Greg Campy news. But, yeah, Greg Campy, longest tenured at his position because it was Krzyzewski, Bayheim, Campy. And now Campy, who will have his 40th season next year at Oakland, will be the longest tenured 
head coach at, at his university. 46862 is Parkview Sports Medicine text line. So the Mike Bray era ended last night, and it's probably the right time. Uh, I've been a fan of Mike Bray, and I think he's done a terrific job at Notre Dame. But the bar at Notre Dame is set that if you consistently can make NCAA tournaments, you're probably doing well enough. There is not the expectation at Notre Dame that you're going to be a Final Four program. There's not the expectation that you're going to hang banners for national championships. All it is is keep the program relevant enough that you consistently get in the NCAA tournament. And that bar started to fall a little bit in the, in the last couple of years with Mike Bray. And I think it was time for both sides to decide this is this is a good time to step away. Let's not have it become a a uh, situation where the fan base starts wanting, you know, a coaching change and all this. And so he can leave on good terms. He may still want to coach, which will be interesting to see where his future goes. I think he would do a terrific job broadcasting, but... You know, my question with Mike Bray, especially for Notre Dame fans, what is the legacy that he leaves at Notre Dame? How do you remember Mike Bray? Because you've got to remember him for something more than the mock turtleneck for his tenure to really be considered a successful one. I've, uh, I'm looking at the text line right now. I've been told that it actually was Rick. Oh, that texted in about Oakland. So he's I, claiming the text of some. He's, no, no, it is. He switched numbers on us. I thought I knew Rick's number. Oh, but I guess I didn't. Okay. So blame it on blame it on the producer. Uh, I will just say last two numbers ninety five. It's him. Oh, okay. Um, someone else said when being rude at your press conference comes back to bite you in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the decision may have been made by then. But he also may not have felt that that was the time to announce it because he said it's up to the university. And maybe it was a case where he had talked to the university. They'd mutually agreed on this. And maybe they'd even mutually agreed what the transition would be like. In other words, once the game is over, the post game, then uh, and the season is finished, then we will go ahead and make an announcement. And it might have been rushed because of the whole chaos happening in the post-game press conference yeah that too i mean he might not have wanted to say the university it right after said the- we can't just keep up with the speculation and yeah. all the questions let's just go ahead and make the announcement now maybe they were planning on making it uh later but anyway so that's effective immediately i guess if you've already named the replacement then he yeah. he has retired the Bayheim era is over and that's clearly not his choice because if he was going to retire and walk away gracefully, he would have done it after any potential NIT bid, which 10 and 10 in the conference and a winning record overall. Yeah. Uh, I it, And a lot of this in the NIT, what it comes down to is how many automatic bids go to the NIT because of regular season conference champions in one bid leagues not winning their conference tournament. Because every time you like... For instance, Youngstown State won the Horizon League regular season. They didn't win the Horizon League tournament. Therefore, Youngstown State, an automatic NIT qualifier. And the more of those you get, the fewer teams like a Syracuse that would be almost on the bubble Mm -hmm. as far as the NIT goes, uh, the fewer of those teams get in. 46862, Sparkview Sports Medicine text line. But uh, asking Mike Bray's era, how do you remember it? 46862, Parkview Sports Medicine text line. 
888-346-4662. Big Ten Tournament starts tonight. We've got coverage and Central Mobile product, Connor Asesian, freshly named to the Big Ten all-freshman team. He will be taking on the Ohio State Buckeyes, Wisconsin, Ohio State. And that will start the Big Ten Tournament. We've got coverage starting at 6.15 tonight, and then that will be followed by Minnesota versus Nebraska. Still can't believe Rayfield Davis picked Nebraska to make a surprise run. I think Nebraska wins one game. I don't think Nebraska beats Maryland. Now, I know Maryland has been a different team at home, and they somehow have to capture that home energy that they have played with, which was tenacious defensively. And they've got to take that to Chicago. But I still think in the Big Ten tournament, what you're going to see are that that middle pack. Because right now, there's so many teams that are considered on the bubble. Teams that might have to prove something in the tournament to earn a spot into the field. And with that many teams with something to prove, I think it's going to be very difficult for a team like Purdue or maybe even Indiana who have nothing to prove. I mean, Indiana and Purdue are safely in. They're going to get quality seeds. They're not playing in a play-in game. And uh, and then you look at all those other teams that are kind of fighting for their spot, the Penn States, the Maryland's, uh, the Wisconsin's. And, you know, those teams that are in that mix where a good run, maybe they get into the dance. And I just feel like that's what... Purdue and Indiana have to watch out for is the other team might have more motivation to win than they do. And that's why I have a tough time. And I told you this, Adam, earlier this week, I said nothing like making both both uh, fan bases angry. But that's why I have a tough time believing that either Indiana or Purdue is going to win this tournament. Too many hungry teams out there that are either trying to get an improved seating or, uh, or just get into the tournament, get off the bubble. Yeah, whereas uh, Purdue and Indiana already know they have at least a, a decent seed waiting for them. Yeah, I mean, Purdue's going to be probably no worse than a two. And Indiana, a five. I was, that, I, I was thinking now, the same. That's, you know, that was one of the points I, I put in my notes today, is Indiana may feel like they don't have anything to play for, but in truth, they have a lot to play for. Because they projected last night that Oral Roberts will be a 12 seed. The last thing Indiana wants to see, and I'm just telling you Hoosiers fans, it's probably going to happen. If Indiana ends up on the five line, you're probably going to see Oral Roberts as that 12. Because if Oral Roberts ends up at a 12, and here's the here's the issue, most of the most of the uh, mid-majors, even when they're good mid-majors, they end up on a 13 seed. Maybe occasionally you get a 12, and that's where you get some of these 5-12 upsets. But if you get a 12, you've got a really good mid-major team. And a lot of good mid-major teams can definitely play with some of the mediocre Power 5 conference teams. That's why you see the 5-12 upsets. But I would not want to play Oral Roberts. I saw them just crush North Dakota State last night. And they've got a lot of experience. They've got a lot of guys that can score. They got a seven-five center. Had uh, what six blocks last night? He is the ultimate rim protector for Oral Roberts. That is not a team you want to see. 
46862 is Parkview Sports Medicine text line. This is Maria Marcasano, head women's basketball coach at Purdue Fort Wayne, and you're listening to the Sports Rush with Brett Rump on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. If you missed our conversation with Maria Marcasano yesterday, recapping the run in the Horizon League championships by Purdue Fort Wayne women's basketball, you can catch up because we always have all our shows available on our podcast page. Wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, just search for the Sports Rush with Brett Rump. In fact, coming up later tonight, you come back, listen to this conversation we're about to have right now. Joining us from The Athletic on our guest line, it is James Boyd. Good afternoon, James. How you doing? Doing well. And uh, I want to catch up with some of the things happening right now in the NFL. Of course, the Combine, the big news from over the weekend, but also the Lamar Jackson situation in Baltimore. I think... Quite honestly, I don't see the uproar here. I think this is a win for both sides. Lamar Jackson can shop himself in the market, and if he feels he's got a better price or he has higher value and someone's willing to pay it, uh, he's got that opportunity where Baltimore also is setting their price, and they'll have a quarterback for the short term. What were your thoughts about this non-exclusive franchise tag they threw at Lamar Jackson? I think it's a... Weak move on their part. I understand them trying to, like, gain leverage in the negotiations, but who are the Baltimore Ravens without Lamar Jackson? Um, you know, we'll see if another team will jump in and offer him the guaranteed money he wants. But um, I think it's smart on both sides. If you don't want to pay him, you know, give him the non-exclusive. But his perspective, he shouldn't suffer anything less because the Ravens would absolutely stink without him. Should the Colts be a player in the Lamar Jackson market? They should at least call, I think. Um, if the minimum you have to give up is two first-round picks and, you know, go after this guy and get a former MVP who's only 26 years old, one of the most athletic players in the NFL, I'm not saying you absolutely do it, but you at least pick up the phone and inquire about it, in my opinion. How messed up is this situation? Because now, you know, who goes out and peddles the services to the other teams when you don't have an agent? It seems like a really awkward situation for Lamar Jackson. How much does that play into it that he doesn't have an agent? Yeah, I think it's awkward, but at the same time, I think it's just the position he's in now. I think the league itself, I think that the owners would like to set a precedent that the Deshaun Watson thing is an anomaly and not the standard for future superstars. And so, you know, if a guy like Joe Burrow, for example, were up for a uh, major contract and he wanted it all guaranteed, would they be as hesitant then? Um, I'm not sure. But I do think it's a unique situation, and it is going to be something that you kind of look at as a barometer for the league where it's kind of at a crossroads where if you give in to him, um, it becomes a thing. But if you don't, um, obviously the owners will obtain more leverage and they wouldn't have to give up so much guaranteed money. Why is Matt Ryan still a cult as of today? Because they don't have to make a move on him until March 17th, I believe. Um, I will fully expect him to be released. It uh, doesn't make sense to pay that amount of money for a backup quarterback at this point. And um, you save a lot of money as far as your cap hit. You know, you got to still pay him, I believe, $18 million if you cut him. But that's still better than paying him on 37 to keep him on the roster. But um, I would tell everyone out there to kind of relax on him and uh, possibly Big Foles as well. I wouldn't expect um, either one to be back next season. Is there any doubt that the Colts are going quarterback with the first pick uh, that they get on this year's draft? I would be shocked if they didn't pick a quarterback <laughs> with the number four pick or higher if they trade up. I just feel like it's time for them to, um, 
get off this this quarterback uh, merry-go-round and, and get someone you believe in, someone young, and someone you can build around for the future. You've tried the rent a QB route um, outside of Phillip Rivers. It hadn't worked out very well, and so I think that um, it's smarter to just get young and start this thing from the ground up and truly uh, go through a rebuild. Is there a guy out there, though, that can be that future franchise guy in this group of four? Is it parity because of mediocrity, or is there a star in the making among this group of quarterbacks? And I should say group of five because some people are putting uh, Hooker in that mix. But uh, is that quarterback in this draft? Absolutely. I think there is always, you know, the possibility or a chance to have one. You can't overlook Bryce Young. I know his size is. Um, in question, but he's incredible. In my opinion, is the best quarterback in this draft right now. Um, he has the ability to uh, do some things that are special as far as his capability, um, processing, um, breaking down defenses, things like that. And so the biggest knock on him is just his size. If he was 6'2", he'd be consensus number one pick. And if you're looking for a physical specimen, the most athletic quarterback ever, oh, yeah. arguably, uh, just went through the combine. And I must say, it was very impressive. Obviously, there's a lot of room to grow, but I think, from my perspective, his floor in the NFL, if we talk about his ceiling, I don't think his floor is as low as people say just because he can move. And I think his mobility, his dynamic um, ability in the run game will give him a higher floor to start off, you know, in the NFL. So um, we'll see if there's one, but it's not as clear as, you know, an Andrew Luck, which I'm sure Colts fans would, uh, would prefer. <laughs> when you talk about Anthony Richardson and the impressive numbers that he put into the combine, I'm wondering – does that make him move up a a fan's draft board or someone, uh, you know, someone who's not really <laughs> all that into the NFL? Or is do the executives move him? I mean, did he – how much did his stock improve among the NFL executives with the numbers that he put up at the Combine? I think it, it impressed a lot of people, and it has them at least rethinking, you know, where they want him to go. And I think it honestly probably solidified him as a top-ten pick just because of how um, high his ceiling is and how impressive he looked. Um, for him, it's not necessarily like, you know, I, I know his completion percentage wasn't that great, but I do think a lot of that will just come with growth. He was a one-year starter. Um, if you're expecting him to come into the NFL and be as polished as C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young right off, I would tell you that you're wrong. But um, I think that that upside and the way the league is moving as far as mobile quarterbacks there's going to be a coach or a GM out there that says, hey, we can fix this guy or we can work with this guy, we can work with him to make him a better player. Now, I did ask him at the Combine about being labeled a project quarterback. He didn't like that. Uh, <laughs> took a little offense to that, but it's the truth. Um, but if that project works out, um, it will be uh, he would be a hell of a prospect for sure. The, uh, the Colts not in a position to tag anyone this year because it seems like that's kind of an annual thing that the Colts don't use their tag. Yeah, there's no reason to use the, the franchise tag on anyone, in my opinion. There's no one worth it this time around. They haven't used it, I believe, since Pat McAfee, uh, which has been a few years now because he's got his whole second career going. So smart on their part. I think the biggest thing, again, is just figuring out who you want your quarterback to be and then um, evaluating what you want to put around him as far as free agency and the rest of your draft class. How important is it for the Colts to move up in this draft? A lot of people say, hey, if you find your guy, you got to go get him. But I look at it two ways. If the Colts feel that there's four really good quarterbacks, there's no incentive to move up. If they feel there's one or maybe two, they better move, right? Yeah, I think that 
there has to at least be conversations about that, even if it's just moving up to three. Um, my opinion is that it'll be hard to justify missing out on someone who was available to you. Um, and you look up years from now and they're killing it in the league and you had a chance to go get that guy. You thought that guy was good and just didn't. You settled on someone else. So as long as they're not settling, they'll be fine. I will say I would be shocked if they do their evaluations and they're the only team that has, you know, their guy, you know, rated as the fourth or third best quarterback in this class. I think that there are other teams going to be like-minded and you have to, you know, kind of make a bet or, in my opinion, at least uh, take a swing. And, again, if you hit on your quarterback, the rest of it kind of figures itself out. Like, what you give up to get him um, becomes not obsolete, but it becomes negligible if you can get someone who is truly a superstar. Uh, talking to James Boyd from The Athletic. Uh, let's talk about Shane Steichen's coaching staff because now he's kind of completed that and we know who's going to be responsible for what. And, you know, at face value, you look at this and you think, Boy, it's really weighted on the defensive side when you look at the assistants and the staff as far as experience and success. Um, And I don't think that's so unusual when you've got a coach who brings in his system on the offensive side is he's probably not going to bring in a real experienced offensive coordinator who's got his system. And then you've got a head coach and an offensive coordinator that might clash a little bit on what they really want to run. Uh, But your thoughts on the assembly of this staff? I think, number one, you look at the rest of the offensive staff. A lot of them have quarterbacking, you know, backgrounds, which is what you need if you're going to draft a young quarterback. Mm-hmm. And you need other voices in there to help him along. So that makes a lot of sense. And then I also think that um, on the flip side, as far as the defense goes, Gus Bradley earned that. I think that the defense, the only reason they probably had four wins last season, I mean, three of them were literally last-second pass breaks up, pass breakups by Stephon Gilmore. So, He's a highly respected guy in the building. Um, takes some stress off of uh, Shane Steichen just being someone who kind of was there already. And so I think that, um, you know, that's a move that will gain some respect with guys in the locker room, kind of showing them that, hey, if you did do your job at a pretty high level last season, then, you know, you can stick around here. So um, we'll see. Well, obviously, the big loss with Bubba Ventrone um, getting shipped out on special mm-hmm. teams, but, but their replacement is solid as well from Notre Dame. And I think that, again, um, this is a chance for them all to grow together. And there is some holdover, like I said, with Gus Bradley. And so um, it's not all new, but, um, you know, it is pretty new. And we'll see how that goes. But, I mean, we could talk about coaches all day, but you got to get your quarterback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what matters I, the most. You know, James, and I've only got about 60 seconds, and this is probably one of those loaded questions that you could give me a 20-minute answer. But a lot of people felt like Chris Ballard should have been out the door with Frank Reich. What is the leash on Chris Ballard? Does, is this make or break in the draft? Is it wait till the season? What What do we need to see from Chris Ballard to feel like he's the long-term general manager for the Colts? I think we would have to see success at the quarterback position. This is the first time I believe he'll be drafting one um, in the first round. And so, you know, do you make that, you know, evaluation of his tenure and his uh, time with the team after one season or two seasons, but the bottom line is he has to get it right with his pick, and if he doesn't, that's probably his job, and so um, we all know that. He knows that. I know he tried to downplay the need for the move up or whatever, but if he f- feels like there's a guy that can change his franchise, um, it obviously would simultaneously save his job, because I don't you know see too many GMs going through as many coaching changes as he has. He's been fortunate on that front, but this seems like the uh, you know, end of the road. You got to get it right. And if you don't, um, I wouldn't be surprised to go elsewhere.
Yeah, somebody think some people think he might be driving on gravel right now that the road ended some time ago, but we'll see. It's it's kind of a, <laughs> uh, a fresh <laughs> fresh start and uh, new opportunity. Yeah, new opportunity with a new quarterback, but a lot riding on it for Chris Ballard. James, look forward to uh, watching and reading what you write in the Athletic. Hope everybody gets their subscription, and we look forward to our next conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. I got a mock draft, I believe, coming out tomorrow morning, so oh. you all can yell at me then. There you go. All right, appreciate it, James. James Boyd joining us on the guest line. We've got to take a quick time out. When we come back, we've got Dan Lust, sports law attorney, to join us, talk about all things legal in the world of sports. That comes up next here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. You're listening to The Sports Rush with Brett Rump on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Big Ten basketball tournament starting tonight, and we've got your coverage. 6.15, the pregame. 6.30, the tip for Ohio State, Wisconsin, with Nebraska, Minnesota to follow later tonight. All the Big Ten coverage coming your way on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. When we want to talk sports law, we know that we know nothing, and so we have to find somebody who knows everything. And we have found that man, and you may have seen him on Fox or one of the big networks and uh, he is still nice enough to come and join our little show here. And we welcome Dan Lust, sports law attorney. Uh, Conduct Detrimental is the podcast and the, the Twitter handle to keep a, a follow on what he's got going on. But he's joining us on our guest line. And, Dan, once again, it is our pleasure to have you on the show. Good afternoon. Uh, good, as always, to join you. I feel like there's always some new crisis every time I get involved. <laughs> Yeah, it never stops. But, you know, it seems like over the last couple of months, we've had some snowballing here with different things happening uh, with the Daniel Snyder situation, the Live Golf PGA Tour battle that just keeps to lingering on. I want to start, though. This one fascinates me as a sports talk radio host, the defamation suit against Pat McAfee, because that's gotten a lot of the nation's attention um, because Pat McAfee, what he said was basically um what was being reported it's not like he made it up he it, it's not like it wasn't a story that was out there and i'm trying to figure out is this the most frivolous suit or is this got merit what does brett Favre have to prove to claim that pat mcafee defamed him well brett Favre is going to have to show i guess a couple things Let, let's do the legal part then i'll tell you the, the kind of pat mcafee special part you have to show, right, if you're a public figure, which Brett Favre undeniably is, a mm-hmm. Hall of Fame quarterback, everybody knows who Brett Favre is, you have to show that somebody uh, has something called actual malice, that they know what they're saying about you is false, but they're saying it anyway. Um, but you and I are not going to get political, but there's a case in the headlines right now on the political side where there's maybe something closer to actual malice, where somebody found, you know, I think it was a Zoom recording call with different political anchors talking about uh, voting issues, but neither here nor there. Brett Favre is going to have to have some knowledge that what Pat McAfee said as he was saying it, he knew was just inaccurate, and he went went forward anyway. So that's your kind of run of the mill, um, you know, public figure case. The problem is what the person is saying has to be viewed by a reasonable audience as kind of like relaying some type of fact, some type of you know big J journalist reporting. And Pat McAfee is much closer to like. You know, uh, someone like a Howard Stern or a Dave Portnoy, you know, associated with, you know, uh, you know uh, just kind of, 
I don't know, conjecture, kind of just having fun, right? Sometimes telling jokes. He's not Ted um, Koppel. I mean, you know, for those of right. us that grew up with Ted Koppel. Right, he's not. So I, I don't think a reasonable person, knowing Pat McAfee's thinking it's fact, and I think the last part, not to bore everybody, but at, at the end of the day, right, like what did he actually say? It's not just the the actual, um, you know, person who's saying it is kind of, you know, telling jokes. You have to show that the statement was understood to be a fact and not an opinion and not a joke or anything like that. And what Pat McAfee said is, you know, that Brett Favre tied the hands of poor people and stole money out of their pocket. Brett, there is not a person with a that is of sound mind on the face of this earth that thinks that Pat McAfee was reporting that uh, that uh, I don't know Brett Favre like Boris and Natasha back in the day like tied people's hands up and then stole from their pockets. Like nobody thinks that. So uh, me personally, I think this is a. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a far stretch of a case, so we can talk about why one would still file it. But uh, again, at least with respect to Pat McAfee, I don't, I don't think there's any case here. How does Pat McAfee and his attorneys respond to it? They just ask to have it thrown out, or is that even a possibility? Well, the, the tricky part with this is, you know, I think Brett Favre is going to be entitled to conduct some discovery. So it's, been, it's probably going to get some some limited request to be able to look at texts and emails and try to see if Pat knew this to be false. Very limited discovery, but that's. Pat's hope, right? It's almost like a Hail Mary. He's throwing up a bomb 60 yards. He's hoping someone will catch in the end zone. But he doesn't know who's going to be there when the ball comes down. So it's not a, not a slam dunk case for Brett Favre at all. He's he's suing and hoping he's going to find the needle in a haystack, which um, that's my perception of the case. Maybe he knows something I don't. But to you know the public realm watching this case, it looks like you know Pat is, uh, you know, Pat is in the clear and, and Brett is kind of grasping at thin air. I've got to talk to you, Dan, about Daniel Snyder because, you know, I see the headlines and I don't dive into everything from a legal perspective like you do. But, you know, here's the things that I've kind of seen. Allegedly, two sets of books and allegedly he went out and got a big loan uh, with uh, using the Washington commanders and didn't tell his minority partners and I. I'm trying to figure out, okay, what, number one, is a concern uh, from the legal side if you're Dan Snyder? And then the second part of it is, why does this guy continue to be allowed to own an NFL football team with all this cloud hanging over him? Um, I guess, I guess I'll guess it to the second one first. I think that's easier. Why is he allowed to? Because the NFL allows it. And, and we are not like a... You know, there's no like impeachment process for for uh, you know for us as the public to kind of start against Dan Snyder. That's a decision that the other 31 NFL owners and Roger Goodell have to make. And if they want to keep him in the league, no matter how much you know the public screams and yells and says to, for Dan Snyder to you know to sell the team, they don't really have a legal obligation to do it. As much as we as fans think that we control our teams and we talk about we and us, that's not the case legally. So yeah, it's, it's the NFL's decision to keep him on. From a business standpoint, you know, I think Roger Goodell is, you know, employed by the owners. If the owners wanted Dan Snyder to go, he would be out. But I think all the owners in the back of their head, they don't want to set a precedent in the public eye that we're going to kick someone out, we're going to take someone's team away, and we're going to be a forced sale. So I think it's more of kind of a, you know, big-picture question. There's something in the NFL that does not want Dan Snyder to have to sell the team. From a legal standpoint, you know, just for those that, that have been following you're not wrong, Brett. A lot of people have kind of like tuned out to the Snyder saga. Like, like wake me up when he has to sell. I don't, I don't care about 
the, the 21st allegation. I, I, I made my mind up, Dan, that he's a bad guy a long time ago, and I don't want him to be an right. owner in the NFL anymore. That's what it is. You know, this. Um, I guess I guess we could say this. The update that happened last week I do think is substantive, and it kind of does answer the, the question I just answered. There is an allegation from ESPN that the NFL is in the midst of a, a very large cover-up, and that cover-up doesn't just involve actions or in actions by Roger Goodell, it involves arbitrators hired by the NFL and NFLPA, and also Bank of America, who, you know, that's the entity that, uh, I guess, kind of closed on a $55 million, what they called on ESPN, a secret loan that Snyder took out without the knowledge of his minority uh, team owners. So Snyder owns 60% of the team, according to this ESPN article, in order for him to take out a very large loan, these 40% minority shareholders of the team had to approve. So question is, right, you don't have to be a lawyer to understand this, if a loan closes and you were required to get a certain approval and those minority owners, those 40% owners are saying, hey, we didn't even know about this, let alone approve it, uh, Dan, um, how did that happen? Um, how did Bank of America approve it? Did Bank of America do any due diligence? Did you maybe give them some documents that were maybe illegal documents, right? These are the questions. And then it was alleged that this was brought to the NFL's attention in 2020, and, uh, Brett, it's the first time you and I are hearing about it. So ESPN and Don Van Nat over there, it's a fantastic article, a lot of great journalism, but basically it's connecting the dots and saying that this secret $55 million loan without proper approvals, this particular aspect is being looked at by the Federal Prosecutor's Office in Virginia, the FBI, and the IRS. So we're getting, we're getting to the top here. This seems to be the biggest allegation I've heard of, one that seems to be something close to bank fraud. So that's, that's not a, a getting kicked out of the league type punishment. That, that might be, right, a jail time type fraud is the quote from uh, from Don's article. So we'll see if it gets there. But certainly it's the hottest Dan Snyder seat has ever been. Where is it at right now? Is it just being investigated by the league? Is it? I mean, you, t- you talked about, uh, you know, the feds are now involved. So what is the process from here uh, as far as collecting the evidence and deciding if you have charges? I mean... It- it's a question of, like, where the investigation's happening, right? There's three state attorney generals, D.C., Maryland, Virginia. I, I mentioned the IRS, the FBI. Um, you know, we mentioned the prosecutor's office, federal prosecutors in Virginia. I don't know where they are in their, in their respective steps, but all of them in some shape or form, it's been reported that they're all investigating him. Mm-hmm. But does that mean that charges are necessarily going to flow? No. Uh, but when you have seven entities, in, and not including the NFL, investigating you, that's not that great, right? <laughs> uh, when there's smoke... There's fire. When I need to use two hands to count the amount of entities that are investigating you for crimes or, or financial wrongdoings, like something's got to give at a certain point. So, you know, you, you, you're kind of asking, you know, Brett, about timing. Um, I, I, me personally, I think this, this is a race, right? It's a race to see if Dan Snyder can voluntarily sell his team before one of these agencies announces um, potential criminal charges. And I think if that happens, the NFL is going to very swiftly move to just kick him out, and they're not going to let him handpick his, his successor. So I, I think that's the race here. I don't know where they are in terms of their investigation, but rest assured, if the federal prosecutor's office comes out with charges for Dan Snyder, the NFL is going to want to cut bait as quickly as humanly possible. There you go. That's what I was after. Dan, uh, i got to ask you about Live Golf versus the PGA Tour and vice versa. What is the latest in the saga for these two? You know, they're kind of going back and forth here. I mean, for people that have just kind of tuned in, uh, again, Casey's been going on it for about a year. Um, Liv kind of came in with a lot of bluster and said that, you know, they were 
Um, the, the handful of players that went over to the Live Tour that they were being, uh, they were losing sponsorships. PGA was kind of blocking them out. Um, and so what has happened since then? You know, Liv has, this is an antitrust case, right? Antitrust, you have to show that you're not able to compete in the market. Liv has shown an ability to pick up very high-level golfers, some of the top golfers in the world. So certainly on like a labor force aspect, they are able to compete. Just people really aren't seemingly, right? The numbers are out, the ratings. They're not that interested in the product. So, you know, what's kind of happened is that Liv keeps losing all these court battles. Um, they're, they're bringing, you know, different uh, Saudi Arabian officials in for depositions that they try to do. Um, they're getting, uh, PJ is asking for some kind of intimate discovery about Liv contracts. So Liv's kind of getting, uh, you know, um, you know, exposed isn't the right word, but people are uh, seeing a look at Liv and being able to peek under the hood. And there were comments from the judges in this case that, hey, wait a minute, Liv's contracts here might even be more restrictive than the PGA contracts they complained about. So you know, Liv's, Liv's been taking a couple, you know, losses in a row. And I think, um, you know, for anyone that was curious, I think, you know, if you're trying to figure out who was supposed to win this case, I think at the end, maybe people would say 50-50. Maybe the PGA acted in some way as a monopoly, but Liv has forced their way onto the landscape. And I just don't think people are that interested in the product, independent of any market controls by the PGA. So that's that's kind of where we are about a year into the case. Dan, always great stuff. Always appreciate you jumping on with us. Have a great Wednesday night. Look forward to our next discussion because I know there's going to be more sports cases to talk to you about. Uh, but once again, big thanks to you for joining us today. Always a pleasure. Anytime. That is Dan Lust, sports law attorney. Conduct Detrimental is the podcast. And, of course, uh, you know, he's got an entire network going now. So be sure to check him out on Twitter, Dan Lust. We'll take a time out. We'll come back. It's Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Looks like Jesse Bates' days as a Cincinnati Bengal are over. He did not get the tag for the second consecutive year. It looks like he's becoming a free agent, and uh, he is going to the open market. But we wish Jesse nothing but the best in wherever he does end up. Uh, I don't know, Colts. Could always use another safety like Jesse Bates. But the only problem is I don't know if the Colts have the cap space to be able to afford a Jesse Bates. Yeah, another two quick stories here. Uh, Zion Williamson will miss a minimum of at least two more weeks. John Morant will remain away from the Grizzlies for at least the next four games, the team says. Probably a good thing. He needs to get right and uh, figure out where his life is going next because it seems like it was heading down the wrong path. Sometimes you got to backpedal and then go down a different tangent, and it takes some time maybe to do that. Fun show today. We've got the Big Ten Tournament starting tonight, and that means we've got coverage all day tomorrow. Special Sports Rush sneaking in between the two sessions. We'll be on somewhere around 4.45 to about 6.15 tomorrow and Friday. Uh, Eric Dutkevich, Parkview Sports Medicine, joins us tomorrow. Thanks to Byron Pickens. Thanks to Jordan Poole. Big thanks to James Boyd from The Athletic and Dan Law, sports law attorney, joining us on today's show. That does it for us with the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.